And this is Fast Money, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan in for Melissa tonight. And your trader lineup on this Wednesday, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinemann, and Jeff Mills. Coming up on Fast, the NFL postponing a game because of COVID, but the gaming stocks rose. Why? We're going to let you know. Plus, cybersecurity firm Palantir making a big splash in its public debut. Find out if any of our traders are betting on this newbie name. And later on, your call of the day. One top-ranked analyst says that stock right there is one of the best growth stories in retail. Do you know what it is? No, you don't. Maybe you do. Take some guesses. We're going to bring you that name ahead. All right. <clears throat> Good evening, everybody. Wow. What a start to September. And overall, I should say, a September to forget. The S&P 500 capping off its worst September in nine years. But for the quarter, we actually had some pretty good numbers. The S&P 500 gaining about 8.5% this quarter. Leading the way, consumer discretionary. You had materials and industrials rounding out the pack. Notice what's not on there? Technology. The sector that posted a loss this quarter, the only one, energy, which slid 20%. So with Q3 now in the books, Guy Adami and a quarter with more ups and downs yes, than Action Park. What do you make of the setup for the fourth quarter? That's a, by the way, Brian, great to have you here. That Action Park, there's like a documentary about Action Park that is off the charts. I mean, that place was ridiculous for those that live in this area. I would say this, you know, in terms of what the market did today and what we've done, textbook, that, that run up on September 2nd to 35.88 in the S&P, the subsequent drop to 32.10, the level that we traded at today is to the, almost to the penny, as Carter Worth says, a 50% retracement, 33.93. Oh, by the way, it was also the prior all-time high we made in February. So I think it did everything it needed to do technically uh, in terms of the correction of the upside. Now I think October sets up for this next leg to the downside. So I thought today was really interesting. I thought the VIX is really interesting, still around this 26 level. Uh, I think October could be really dicey as we move forward here, Brian. Okay, Tim, would you agree? You think we're, we're setting up for a dicey October? Yeah, and I'll put it in, in even more layman's terms. The market, basically, after falling almost 10% on the S&P, has now risen 5.7% in about five or six sessions to get back above the 50-day, which at least looked like an area that it needed to, to not only hold, but possibly to inch back over on the last day of the quarter. The, the question, really, for investors is, was that third quarter, for a lot of the, the, the big mega-cap tech names, for sure, was, was that really their fourth quarter? Was, was Apple's 27% third quarter run, did they pull forward holiday sales? We could argue that they had their holiday season and back to school and COVID and outfitting uh, remote learning and, and, and whatnot. I think if you look at transports and industrials, that was the, the quiet, you know, quiet stealth rally in 3Q that I think goes straight into fourth quarter. We're going to talk about, you know, a FedEx or, or what do you do with UPS and what do you even do with some of these airlines? So um, I think those are really the key issues. Largely, um, I, I think part of what September was, uh, was really, you know, where August was. Um, we, we were way, way over our skis. And I think this is a case where we go into the fourth quarter. Remember, it was October 3rd of last year when markets were coming out of also a difficult September, not like this, uh, but where you essentially got the Fed very involved and, and talked about the money markets and gave us a, a QE stealth uh, that gave markets a lot of ammunition into year end. And I, I don't know if we have that waiting for us this fourth quarter. We have a lot of uncertainty. 
Yeah, a lot of uncertainty. And, you know, Karen, last night, and I'm not going to say the debates because it's certainly whatever that was was not a debate. The best line, I think, was don't call it a dumpster fire because dumpster fires at least are contained for the most part. You know, (laughs) futures did turn down during that thing, whatever it was last night. And yet we rallied today. Is sort of that macro environment simply on the idea that if we get a Democratic win or a sweep even, the idea of low rates and more fiscal stimulus is likely here to stay for a a long time. That's potentially possible. I think there were some other things to point to. I think those housing numbers were gigantic. So that's something good because a lot of positive things happen. These are pending sales, meaning that they haven't closed yet. So when they do close, that sort of starts a whole virtuous cycle of people spending money on their homes, buying appliances and going to Lowe's and Home Depot and whatnot. I think clearly the stimulus talks that is the I think today the number one thing driving the market. If you know, we taught, we heard that they were in discussion, Pelosi and Mnuchin, and then there was a little cold water thrown on it. But they're both trying, you know, maybe talking more later. I don't know. To me, that's the number one stimulus to the market right now. No pun intended, because there's a lot of people. I, I think also one more thing. We see all these layoffs happening, and I think that pushes both sides to try to get a deal done for the American people, regardless of politics. So uh, maybe I'm an optimist, but I still think there's, there's hope there. So that's important. But I think for the fourth quarter, I really want to see what the banks have to say. And they've had a nice run in the last few days, uh, so I actually trimmed some. But I, I want to see what they have to say, because they have a very good look into business and consumers. And they'll give us a, a somewhat of a tell on how the economy is really doing, because I don't think we really know. No. In fact, the GDP estimates, I think, are from, you know, sort of they have like a 20 percent swing from the high to the low care. And I'm not sure I've ever seen that kind of estimates on Wall Street. Jeff, is the market hanging by the stimulus thread? I think it is to a degree, because I think what we're going to see is this shift away from the main driver being multiple expansion to the main driver actually being earnings. So when you talk about stimulus, you're obviously talking about the underlying fundamentals. So I think maybe what we saw this quarter is foreshadowing what we're going to see for the rest of the year. And that's kind of more sideways, choppy trading, because I think that's how the recovery and earnings is probably going to unfold. When I think about multiples, You know, typically when you can count on multiples rising, it's when that perception of risk is really high. You know, we're in the opposite place right now where credit spreads have already compressed. We've already seen economic data bounce off the bottom. So I don't think we can count on that. But on the flip side, so I think the highs are probably in for the year. But on the flip side, I don't see major downside because I don't know that valuation multiples fall out of bed either. You know, anything can happen on the geopolitical front. Anything can happen on the political front. We can't predict that. But those typical catalysts for compressing multiples, whether it's raising interest rates or increasing inflation or even a material slowdown in economic data, I don't think that that's in the card. So I think it's probably more sideways choppy trading because multiples are range bound. And now we have to count on earnings. You know, Guy, I pointed this out in a panel and great job in delivering alpha today as well. We're both doing DA and I know we're going to hear from one of the guests in just a second. But I pointed this out that if you want to buy a 10 year Treasury note, the yield is a dime, basically 0.12%. So if I promised you a 1% return on your investment, you might laugh in my face, but that's 1,300% more than what you're going to get from a two-year Treasury note. I mean, you want an argument about why stocks may continue to go up? That might be it. I totally understand that, Brian. And that's a point that 
everybody on this panel has been making for quite some time. And I understand why they're forcing you and they being, you know, whatever forces are at work, central banks, our Federal Reserve, forcing you out the risk curve. But that doesn't mean you should do it, right? So I think, you know, you're getting to a point now, I believe, as we head into the fall, that things look a little nebulous. And again, you know, you have, a, you have an election coming up in a month or so. There's a tail risk there associated with a potential contested election. Things still going on between the United States and China. Karen mentioned um, earnings coming up. There's just a lot of things to be leery of, I think, as we head into the fall. You make an excellent point as to why you would want to be in equities, but I don't think you can just look at it through that prism alone. Oh, certainly not. You guys have made that point, that Tina trade, right? There is no alternative. All right. Let's have a little fun, shall we? It's Wednesday. Why not? With the third quarter officially in the books now, we thought it would be a perfect time to play... Trade it or fade it! That's it. All right. Trade it or fade it. We're going to hit Q3's biggest winners and one of its biggest losers. You guys look ready? All right. You're ready. First up, L Brands. Maybe the biggest surprise in the quarter. LB getting an A. Up over 112% this quarter. Also added to J.P. Morgan's focus list today. What a run, but the company's still struggling. Karen, are you trading or are you fading? Uh, I'm reluctantly trading. I would have said faded. I actually read the piece. They make some good points. They definitely are getting their balance sheet in shape. They tendered for some notes. They're they're getting a handle on it. And the catalyst would be the spin of um, Bath & Body Works. So for, for those reasons, I would be a traded. Tim Seymour, trade or fade? Well, and as unintuitive as trade it means for someone that actually wants to hold the stock, um, <laughs> I will fade it, um, which means I would definitely be selling some of the strength. Tremendous turnaround. And again, top and bottom line inflection, massive uh, savings in 2020. 400 million, in fact, is almost 12% of the expense load for all of 2019. Question is, is that a reason to go out and buy the stock tomorrow? Uh, Bath and Body Works is a real franchise. And I think that spin off in public public is what gives you upside. But I, I have to fade a 250% move off the lows. There you go, fading LB. All right, stock number two. FedEx on the express train to make an investor some serious coin. FedEx up nearly 80% in just 90 days. Tim, back to you. Trading or fading? Yeah, so uh, I will trade it, which means I would like to hold it or I'll stay in a trade that I've been in. And I think uh, a combination of ground express uh, margin increasement, almost 300 basis points we saw last quarter. Uh, those numbers were extraordinary. The B2C business and the sheer scale of what they're rolling out into the holiday season. The fact that also cost savings are things that are starting to trickle through. I think transports, as they were a leader in the 3Q, I think stay in the 4Q uh, based upon trends we've seen. Brian, I would say fade it, and kudos to Karen and Tim. They've been on this for a while. I mean, think about this for a second, though. FedEx bottomed out. That scared me. That was a very uh, aggressive buzzer. FedEx bottomed out around $90, traded up to $260. Go go back and look at exactly where we traded up to. We actually talked about this over the last month or so, the possibility of it trading to the levels we saw two years ago and failing. And that's pretty much exactly what we did after that earnings release. I'm not saying it's going straight down in a line, but I do think you'd get a chance to buy it cheaper. And when I say cheaper, I think low 200s, 205 to 210. So fade it. Fade it. You know, that buzzer is like if you hooked up a car battery to the game operation. By the way, don't do that. All right. Uh The idea is supposed to be 
Yeah, buy low, right? So let's move on to a big loser in the quarter, and that is C, Citigroup, down nearly 16% this quarter. Jeff Mills, start off with you. Trade it, to Tim's point, meaning, I guess, own it or buy it or fade it. So I'm going to fade City. I think I'm probably on my own here, just given the, the underperformance we've seen. And you, you have to understand the valuation argument, and I do. There can be a re-rating of banks. There probably will be. So if you're going to be patient over the long term, I think there's money to be made. I just think in the near term, there's no catalyst. You know, we talked about KBE, so the broad banks, just as an example, traded into this really narrow edge, and it broke to the downside. Now, before it did that, you saw some outperformance because you had the yield curve steepen. So banks outperformed along with that. But since then, the 210 spread is kind of flatlined around 50 basis points. So I think it stays there. Inflation expectations have started to roll over a bit. I don't think people believe that the Fed can actually push inflation back to 2% or above. So I think until the rate environment changes, you're not going to see a re-rating in banks. So fade city. Karen. Yeah, I would trade it. I am long, so uh, so I, that's a trade then. But I think that there, it's not about the net interest margin for Citibank. It's about the gigantic discount to book value. It's also about the cloud that they're under right now from their risk management. And I think when we hear what the penalties will be or what the restrictions will be from, I don't know if it's the OCC or exactly who the regulator is, I think when those are announced, that will actually be the catalyst to, for others to trade it, I guess. And I think that I am optimistic about a general bank rally. So for both of those reasons, I think at this price, a lot of really bad news is priced in. All right. And finally, Gilead, also a big loser on the quarter, down nearly 18%. So Guy Dami, you know the question, trading or fading? Don't you love that? I mean, I love when we fire these graphics. I'm going to give you the answer right at the top so you can play the bell. I trade this, Brian, and I trade it based on the fact that 61.5 has been huge support going back to December of 2018. Tested it a few times and it bounced. I think we're going to bounce from it here. Listen, it's still a premium company, in my opinion, with a great balance sheet. They're a victim of their own success to a large degree, but it's just too cheap at 61.5, $62. I say trade it. The risk reward sets up well. Jeff. I think I think Guy copied my homework here. I was going to say the exact same thing. You know, you go back a couple of years, this thing is traded like clockwork between the low 80s and the low 60s. That 61, 62 level has been really firm support. So I think you trade it here just on the near term's technical support that's been really stable for some time. I think you can trade it to a move to at least that $70 level. All right, Jeff Mills, very good stuff. Trade it or fade it is over. All right. So we heard from some of the major power players in the world today at CNBC's Delivering Alpha Conference, including Social Capital CEO Chamath Palihapitiya. Here's his take on stocks as we head into the final months of the year. And the markets are going higher because I think the presidency and the impact of the presidency um, is being divorced from the economic future and prosperity of America. I think it is really important to understand that you have coupled together monetary and fiscal policy. All right, joining us now with reaction and more is Youssef Gariani. He is director of investments at IHT Wealth Management. Youssef, good to have you on Fast Money and CBC. Thanks very much for joining us. Do you agree? Thank you. 
with Chamal. I mean, he's a billionaire. I guess hard to disagree with him here. But you think that he's making the structural argument for basically politics not mattering for the equity markets? Uh, I, I disagree with that. I think politics do matter, but uh, only to a small degree. Right. I think over the medium to long term, really what you're going to see is the market's going to continue to go up and you have to be in equities. And I think you have to be in equities, um, especially after we get the election, regardless of who's going to be the winner. So you've got to be buying now. You've got to be anticipating the run up and the cure for COVID next year and potentially more stimulus as well. Yeah, you know, there was always this case, Yusuf, for, for years, whatever it might be. Generally, it's financial data, not health data, where bad news is kind of good news because it meant the Fed was in was in play. And certainly we don't want any more bad news. We want COVID to simply go away. We want no more people to get right. sick and certainly no more people to die from it as well. So hopefully it'll just go away. But the idea being that if we do unfortunately get a second wave or whatever it's going to be called in the wintertime, that that increases the chances of more monetary and fiscal stimulus. Definitely. And I think we get stimulus one way or another. The real question is whether we get stimulus before the election or whether we get it after the election. And uh, in either case, right now, I think now is the time to be buying your consumer discretionary names, kind of setting yourself up for that resumption of spending uh, in the middle of next year, middle to end of next year, once the vaccine is kind of out for everybody. Right. So in addition to that, I think you've also got to be um, you just you can't not bet on the American consumer. Right. People have money to spend and people want to spend it. You have to bet on them. Hey, Yusuf, it's Tim Seymour. Thanks for joining us. Um, so I, I don't actually agree that you've seen monetary and fiscal coupled. I think the more important thing for the market going forward in the short term is actually the upcoming earnings season. Where, where do you actually expect disappointment uh, out of companies that have pulled a lot of good news forward in terms of cost savings uh, and maybe even their outlook? I think you've got to be cautious on anything to do with financials, anything to do with insurance. Um, I think a lot of the insurance companies, right, when you've got low rates like this, they've got to have a portion of their books in fixed income. And quite frankly, there's just there's no money to be made there. Right. So I think they're going to struggle. I don't think they have a lot of opportunities to try to pad their books. And it's hard for them to increase premiums right now. So I think insurance companies are probably going to be really hesitant around them. All right. A couple of picks here from you, Yusuf. What's interesting is that you think that utilities I mean, I, they used to be boring, but they've they've made people a lot of money in the last 12 to 18 months. Utilities could do well under either administration. Yeah. So I think especially for people who are looking for safety right now, utilities are a pick that regardless of what happens with the election, I think you're going to get stimulus next year. You have people going back to business. That's good for them. If Trump wins, you probably get deregulation. Deregulation is going to be good for the utilities. You can get more mergers. You saw Duke and Nextera. They're talking about things today. Right. And if Biden wins, you're probably going to get some sort of new green deal or some sort of infrastructure spending bill that's going to be beneficial for them. So regardless of which, you know, kind of who wins, you've got a lot of tailwinds and then low mm -hmm. interest rates and dividend payments. You got to love that in this kind of this kind of environment. I know you also like Purple, the mattress company and Facebook. Do yourself a favor. Don't watch the social dilemma. I watched it last night. If you own Facebook, you might think twice. Yusuf Gariani, <laughs> great to have you on the program, buddy. We'll see you again soon. Thank you very much. Thank All right, much. so Karen, he talked about stimulus there. He answered Tim's question on that as well. He made the case for utilities. Your take on Yusuf's picks and thoughts? Uh, well, Facebook is one that he likes and one that I've owned for a while. I did not watch Social Dilemma last night. I was watching that other ridiculous uh, entertainment. I don't even know Social what to Dilemma. call it. So, I mean, Facebook, I just think small businesses need advertising. This is the place they have to go. It's not crazy expensive either. 
Yeah, there you go. Now, crazy expensive. All right. I watched it before the debate, by the way, which seems somehow timely. Do yourself a favor. Check it out. All right. Breaking news right now on stimulus. This could be a market mover. Elon Moy joining us now with where we stand. Do we stand anywhere, Elon? Well, Brian, the House will not vote tonight on Democrats' $2.2 trillion coronavirus aid package to allow more time for House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin to continue their negotiations. Now, this is a reversal from where we were just about two hours ago when discussions between Pelosi and Mnuchin wrapped up for the day without an agreement. And then Democrats decided to move forward with this vote on their own package. However, that is now being delayed until tomorrow to give more time for the talks to continue. So we will see if there is any type of breakthrough in those discussions overnight. But for now, Democrats not voting on their package in the hopes of perhaps reaching a deal with the White House. Back over to you. Elon, thank you very much. Jeff Mills, your reaction. Yeah, that, that's why I'm still worried a little bit about the consumer. You know, Yousef talked about stimulus being a done deal. I'm not sure that it is. And when you look at the consumer confidence numbers from this week, I think it's really interesting. It's almost a step function down depending on the income bracket. So higher incomes, it was up about 18 or 19 points. Lower income was actually down six points. So you have this discrepancy. I think the higher incomes can be good for things like housing, taking advantage of low interest rates. But I think for broad, the broad consumer to continue to perform, you know, we had this income replacement. It's gone. You're going to need to see that lower end catch up. And with all the layoffs we're seeing, with the additional permanently unemployed numbers continuing to rise, I'm still a little bit concerned. I'm not convinced that we get stimulus. I think this is an example of that. Yeah, I think, I think Jeff makes a great point. And see, I hear what Elon just said, and I think, you know, it's probably encouraging the fact that they're not going to a vote and the two sides are going to continue to talk. To me, that's probably bullish on the margins, and we'll see what happens tomorrow. I think the most fascinating thing, in my opinion, that comes out of this is President Trump's a winner either way, in my opinion. If they get a stimulus deal, he'll be able to say to the populace, look what I've done for you in terms of money in your pockets. And if they don't, he'll come back and say, look what the obstructionist Democrats have done. So it's a win-win for him either way. With that said, the fact that they're still talking to me is, is a bullish thing. All right, Guy Dami, interesting take there, Guy. Thank you very much. All right, we are got a long way to go. We are got a long way to go. That's some good English right there. All right, coming up. A Palantir pop. We're going to break down the big day one action from one of this year's hottest public market debut. And also a fumble on the field. The NFL postponing one of this week's big games by a day, but still something to worry about with the gaming stocks. We're going to talk more about it. Stick around. Fast Money be back right after this. And welcome back. Palantir making a big splash in its first day of trading on the New York Stock Exchange. Shares of the secretive security company rallying 31% today. Let's get right out of Josh Lipton out west with more on Palantir's big debut. Josh. So, Brian, Palantir is showing accelerating revenue growth. But what is this company's path to profitability? Here's what CEO Alex Karp tells CNBC. It turns out our financials are quite simple, and you look at this dramatic growth with flatlining expenses, and I think that gives investors comfort. And it certainly makes me feel as um, co-founder and CEO that we made the right decision to invest heavily over well over a decade in building software the way other people don't to build it, and you see the results. 
One potential risk here, only 125 customers, but Carp saying he's fully confident that he can expand business with existing customers and attract new ones. There's also the question of corporate governance, with founders controlling just under 50% of Palantir's voting power. Carp says that's necessary. We need to be able to go to our, especially our Intel and defense clients and say, we will not just blow with the wind. And those shares for a company like ours give us a unique ability to have long-term commitments to the most important clients in the world, both commercial and government. Back to you, Brian. Josh Lipton on Palantir. Josh, thank you very much. Let's talk more now about this. Karen, I, listen, you're a long time. You're not necessarily a jumping into an IPO type of investor, but it's an interesting company with some big name backers. What do you make? Would you own it? Well, it, was, it is an interesting company. That was a great interview. I don't own it, but I know so much has been made about governance here, uh, and I care a lot about governance, but I actually think this doesn't matter at all because many of these companies you have no voting rights, or essentially no voting rights. Here, you really don't, you have no say whatsoever, but that doesn't matter, that's not why you own it. Later, if they get into trouble, need a management change, you know, it becomes an Uber at some point, okay, but don't let that be an obstacle if you do wanna own it. Yeah, I thought the same, because they have such a secretive business that maybe they just don't want somebody else taking control so they can protect those assets. Karen, thank you very much. All right, well, we are just getting started here on Fast Money. Long way to go. Here's what's coming up next. It's time out for the Titans. What the delay of the game and potential fallout for the NFL could mean for gambling stocks. And later, Lululemon stretching higher today. We'll bring you the call that got the stay-at-home stock doing some sun salutations of its own. That and a lot more when Fast Money returns. And welcome back to Fast Money. We are following a developing story out of the NFL, the league postponing a game for the first time due to a COVID outbreak. Let's get out of Contessa Brewer with the details. Contessa. There we go. Well, Brian, NFL has postponed Sunday's game between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Tennessee Titans because three Titans players and five team personnel tested positive for coronavirus. Now, this outbreak shut down in-person club activities for Tennessee and for Minnesota because the Vikings had just played them last weekend. I mean, this is exactly what sports betting companies have worried about. They've seen a rush of gamblers with the kickoff of the NFL season, but if the season gets disrupted, well, so do the bets. It took its toll on sports betting stocks yesterday, although they rebounded somewhat today. Penn stock up almost 5% today. It disclosed that its barstool sportsbook handle is up 14% week over week. They just launched that. DraftKings up 5.5% today, almost 11% week to date. MGM down week to date with a portfolio that is diversified well beyond sports, but certainly it was an early adopter here and a major player and competitor for sports betting. And then Caesars down almost 2% week to date, but it had offered up more than 30 million new shares to raise money for a $3.7 billion bet to acquire UK sports betting company William Hill. Tomorrow, I will talk with Caesars CEO Tom Rieg about the William Hill acquisition. You can catch that exclusively on Squawk on the Street. That's at 10.30 Eastern time. And look, Brian, remember, William Hill 
operates Caesar Sportsbooks nationwide and others around the country. These companies are investing so much money to stake out their territory in sports betting. They know that if COVID forces sports into a timeout, they know what happens. All right, but Contessa, it's unfortunate, listen, that this happened, but it sounds like they're going to play the game maybe Monday or Tuesday. Let's talk about some of the tools that are out there. I use Clear, which is the security thing at the airport. Of course, back when you were traveling, I understand the NHL used that. MGM might be set to roll this out. How do we use, like, biometric screening devices for COVID? I'm I'm trying to figure out the connection. So, look, here's the thing. You've got Clear that already knows how to use your biometrics for airport safety, right? They do the same thing for your health safety. You would go in, you would take a rapid test. MGM says that they've they've developed uh, this rapid test they can give people and get a result back in 20 minutes. You upload a health pass. You go through the clear kiosks that check your temperature. And this is a system-wide monitoring device. The way it was described to me is sort of a digital vaccine before a vaccine can come into play. We know that it worked successfully for the NHL when they were doing the Stanley Cup and you know they're, they're in their bubble up in Canada. We know the NBA used some of these biometric tools to keep their players and the staff safe during the season. So let's see how much it gets implemented in other sports and other arenas where you have to have that close physical contact. And certainly to get people back into stadiums, that kind of thing is going to be necessary. Good, Contessa. Thank you very much. You know, appreciate it. Tim, you know, my take in the stock, DraftKings rose today. I thought, well, if they play the game on Tuesday, that's it's kind of cool as long as everybody's okay because then we have something to do on Tuesday besides watch the Yankees, which could lead to more betting. Look, the, the, the bottom line, Brian, here is, is we happen to have this bizarre, extraordinary, amazing confluence of every major sporting uh, league and event having taken place from August through the end of November. Um, but even if that was all wiped out, the, the message here is that whether you're DraftKings or Caesars, and Caesars with this William Hill acquisition essentially really going for pole position, uh, I think, in terms of online sports betting and, and their entire positioning, um, tells you the size of the addressable market, tells you where where the country's going in terms of legislation, tells you where the mindset is, and tells you ultimately where the interactivity between viewing sports uh, and watching TV are coming together all in the same time. This is a massive moment for media companies. It's a massive moment for uh, the casinos and those that actually are trying to leverage uh, an old business model into a new one. And again, Bravo for Caesars, who's been out in front on this. And DraftKings, again, the fact that you get the headlines today out of the NFL uh, and these stocks are moving higher tells you the size of the addressable market is a discounted process back for investors to say, this is what I can pay today for tomorrow. Yeah, I think Caesars, to Tim Point, is sort of the cold trickle of this whole thing. But DraftKings is the rowdy gains for you Days of Thunder fan. And I know you guys and gals are out there. And we've said this for a while now that, you know, they could cancel sports tomorrow and DraftKings rallies. And to a certain extent, you know, when you saw that headline today, you saw in microcosm what could happen. Meanwhile, Needham upgraded the stock, put a $70 price target on DraftKings. And I understand why you would not like the stock on valuation, why if you've enjoyed the run, you'd want to sell it. But I think the stock continues to go higher to Tim's point. Yeah, stock's up 450% so far year-to-date as well. Looks like that game could be played on Tuesday. All right, guys, thank you. All right, coming up, Boeing taking a major step today to getting its grounded 737 MAX back in the air. What it means for the struggling stock. Plus, a little pop 
for your portfolio. What options traders think could happen when Pepsi reports their numbers tomorrow morning. We'll break down the action when Fast Money returns. Stick around. So I got some more breaking news out of Washington, D.C., so let's get right back now to Elon Moy. Elon. Brian, the Senate has the votes it needs to pass a stopgap funding bill that would keep the government open through December 11th. Now, at least six Republicans have voted against it, but a majority of senators have voted for it, and it does have bipartisan support. Now, the House has already passed this bill as well, so the next step would be for it to go to the president's desk. He is expected to sign it. Again, the Senate does have the votes it needs to pass a stopgap funding bill. Back over to you. All right, Alon, thank you very much. Government keeps going. All right, let's switch gears. Shares of Boeing taking off today as the head of the FAA actually personally flew a test flight for the company's grounded 737 MAX plane. Let's get down to Phil about with that big story on the 737 MAX. Phil. Brian, this was an important hurdle for Boeing and the 737 MAX, and at least on the appearances of the comments from FAA Administrator Steve Dixon, he likes what he saw, although he was fairly cautious about saying much more beyond that. He checked out the plane before he took it on a two-hour test flight, putting it through all of the same maneuvers that the plane went through when it went through a lot of its certification flights over the last month or so. The software was checked in terms of the uh, flight control software. The new pilot procedures were checked. Here's Dixon after he landed, what he had to say about his flight. I like what I saw. It's, it's been a construct, uh, constructive week. Uh, that doesn't mean that I don't have some debrief items uh, for the Boeing team and the FA team. We'll be doing some debriefs later on this afternoon. I have some observations that I'm going to share with them. So he didn't exactly sign off on it, but it certainly was a uh, fairly upbeat assessment of what he thought of the 737 MAX since it's been updated. So here's the outlook. Ungrounding by the end of the year, that's likely. Pilot training will start in the fourth quarter for many of the airlines. And then a return to service. And when I mean return to service, I'm talking about you and I possibly getting on a MAX. That is expected in early 2021. Remember, the MAX has been grounded for more than 18 months. And there are some who believe that the FAA could sign off on it being recertified by the middle of November. And if that happens, then you start to see the wheels go in motion for the plane to get back in the air. And that's why we're going to take a look at the three U.S. airlines that have the MAX in their fleet. We're talking about Southwest, American, and United. They're all expected to get this plane back in the air early next year. It's just a matter of getting the pilot training in place. Brian? All right, Phil, about with that big story there. Phil, thank you very much. Let's go ahead and trade this. Jeff Mills, This was a $440 stock a year and a half ago. We forget that $440 a year and a half ago. Good news about the max, but we don't need more planes. Airlines are downsizing right now. Is this news material to the equity? Yeah, that's exactly where I was going to go with it. If you look at the stock right now, it's bumping up against that downward sloping 50-day moving average. So the chart doesn't look great. But I think about that timeline for aircraft demand recovery and the runway, uh, pun intended, looks a little bit long still. You know, I think about travel demand, and you look at what's going on there, and it's not that people aren't going to fly. They are, but where does that demand plateau? You know, you look at the TSA traveler data. You saw a really nice, steady improvement throughout the summer. That has now plateaued. And if you look at some of the industry estimates now, talking about a 66% decline in air travel in 2020, that's uh, greater than the 63% that they were predicting before. And you think, well... 
3%, what does that matter? That's 220 million passenger miles. So it's material. And I just think when we're, we continue to be in this, in this situation where air travel is not obviously recovering, uh, it's still going to be a long runway for air, uh, aircraft demand to recover. Uh, so I'm, I'm not real excited about Boeing even at these levels. Even carrying $280 off of its highs of 18 months ago. Right. Well, maybe it never should have been there, but I think I, I agree with Jeff. I, I don't want to own it here. I'm just too afraid of the airlines. The only thing I think that's better about Boeing than being in the airlines, which I wouldn't own right now, is that it is, you know, it's an oligopoly. oligopoly. It's a very concentrated business of suppliers, so that's good. But everything else about the airline business is bad, including prices for used planes. So uh, I don't own Boeing. All right. And won't. All right. At least for now. Karen, thank you. Coming up, your call of the day, the Wall Street firm that sees Lululemon stretching about 20% higher from here. Plus, Pepsi shares, they're flat on the year, but options traders see a rally potentially coming for Pepsi. Going to bring you those details and more when we come back. Stick around. Bank of America getting bullish on Lululemon. It is your call of the day. Analysts saying that Lulu is one of the best growth stories in retail, adding its wins post-COVID could be just as big as they have been during the work-from-home boom, or as we call it, sleep at the office. Bank of America slapped a $390 target on the stock. Guy Adami, we know you're a big Lulu fan. We won't ask you to stand up. But do you see the stock adding another 18% from here? I'm not shy. I'll stand. I got no issue with that whatsoever. I mean, and I got to tell you something. You know, the, easy, the fact easy. that the men's is now 50-50 <laughs> with the women's wear speaks volumes. And I'll add this as well. I mean, this stock has done everything you wanted to. Go back in February, went from 260 to 130, got cut in half. Then you obviously saw the huge move to 400. Now recently went from 400 down to 295. 295 was the level we bottomed out at in June. I think this is a great call by them, maybe a week or so late, but good for them for doing it. And I absolutely think we're going to take out those recent highs, uh, my buying habits notwithstanding. Yeah, I think if you if you look at the mere acquisition, that makes a lot of sense, especially after we've seen the, the continued uh, you know, dominance of Peloton essentially in that space. But if you look at the addressable market guy talked about that, the menswear has been part of the driver for the growth story here. Uh, and, and I think if you look at the overall trends for athleisure, that which worked in COVID, you know, round one, unfortunately, uh, I think we're having COVID round two, even if it's a lesser extent as we get into this winter and the work from home trends at, at a minimum stay the same. Those winners will continue to be a lot of investors are looking for their moment to buy the stock on weakness. Maybe it's not tomorrow. Maybe it's not this upgrade. But this is a stock that has a floor underneath it. Karen? Yeah, it's a great company. But at a 78 multiple, I think that reflects a lot of good things already happening. I know the analyst talked about international is not a big part of their business now. I think it's, I don't know, 12% or so. That's good. But this stock is expensive to the market. And more importantly, it's very expensive to itself. I might be a little biased because I sold it. I don't know, little low 300s. So that might be coloring my, my view of it, but I think it's just too expensive. 
All right, we've got some news on United Airlines. Let's get back down to Phil Lebeau with that. Phil, what's going on at United? Brian, today is the day when airlines have to say if they are going to be taking a loan from the Treasury Department, how much will it be for? And United is saying it will take a loan for $5.17 billion. Now, we've known for more than a week that United planned to take this loan. What we didn't know was the exact amount. So, again, it's $5.17 billion that United will be borrowing from the Treasury Department. I did a check, Brian. Going into the third quarter, if I'm not mistaken, United was sitting on $24 billion in debt. Add this on top of it. So you're looking at somewhere around $29, $30 billion in debt. We'll, of course, get the total debt level when they report their Q3 numbers uh, coming up in October. And, and Phil, if you said it, I'm sorry, is this going to be secured by the frequent flyer miles? No, this is not secured by the frequent flyer miles. This, This is part of the agreement with the Treasury Department. Remember, Treasury put $50 billion available to the airlines back in March. 25 for payroll support, strictly for payroll support. Another 25 of airlines felt they needed to borrow from the federal government to assist in running their businesses. The, the, the part that the, the separate loan was in the private market where United said, okay, this is what we're going to be doing with our mileage plus program. All right, Phil, thank you. Tim, your take, news, UAL, material? Well, I, I think you've got... To, to extend, I mean, they, they've certainly been on the leading edge of, of creative financing here. And I think if you look at the big three, they are the one that, that uh, uh, probably has the most to gain. I, I think American is, is a no touch. Um, and I think Delta's balance sheet allows them to at least call the shots for now through the end of 2021. Um, so we continue to watch these developments. I, you know, again, relative value, uh, Delta Airlines is the call here. Well, that's it. I mean, that's exactly. I'm glad Tim said that because, you know, in terms of balance sheets and having to borrow and all those types of things, all airlines are not created equal. I think Delta has shown that they're probably best in breed on that front as well. But with that said, they're all going to get lumped in together. Uh, listen, they're trading vehicles, no doubt about it. But I think Karen made that point earlier. I, there's still so much uncertainty out there in terms of travel. I don't know why to go piling into these names right here. Jeff Mills, any airline stock that you would own right now? Not right now. I mean, I, I've talked about sort of in a would-you-rather capacity that I like Southwest. I think when you look at their revenue mix, their exposure to international travel, their exposure to business travel, um, they're probably the best suited right now for the current environment that we're in. But again, just to underscore the points I made before relative to travel demand, I don't know that it snaps back at the pace that we thought it was snapping back maybe a couple of months ago. So I'm still staying away. Well, it did. It got to 800,000 daily travelers, and then it just plateaued for the last three weeks. It's been kind of stuck between seven and 800,000 and has not gone up. From, there's really just nowhere to go is the problem, guys. All right. We are counting down to Pepsi earnings. The soda giant reporting tomorrow morning before the bell, and options traders are now betting that Pepsi could pop when those results cross the wire. Why do we say that? Let's find out. Mike Coe here with your options action. Hey, Brian. Yeah, so taking a look at uh, Pepsi, what we saw was more than two times the average daily options volume. Now, over the last eight quarters, the stock has averaged a move of only 1.75%. Right now, the options market is implying only slightly larger 2.1% move. What that means, though, is that options are relatively inexpensive, and it seems that some options traders are taking advantage of that. The most active options are the weekly 140 strike calls. They were paying only 96 cents for those. 
buying those calls, betting that the stock will rise above that 140 strike price by at least the 96 cents that they paid, essentially risking 0.7% of the stock price, betting that it'll rise at least 2.1% by the end of the week following that earnings result. Yeah, and you know, Mike, from an equity perspective, a year ago, Pepsi was $138 stock. Today, it's $138 stock. So it sounds like the options market may be providing a little more or even some juice, pun intended. Yeah, that's exactly right, I think. And, you know, one of the things we're expecting to see, they've been outperforming Coke, which was a name that we actually talked about earlier this week. You know, I think right now we're probably going to see a modest boost on the revenue side. So Pepsi might be a decent play here on the long side. All right. Good stuff there. And I got a chortle or a guffaw out of Mike Co. My day is made. I'm going to retire. Any of the traders out there and I can't see you just visually just jump in here. Raise your Tim Seymour. How about you? A view on Pepsi. Stock's done nothing. But you see a little options action there. Look, I, I think Pepsi is a high quality company that the trends also in COVID have certainly supported their snack business. It's part of the reasons why they've traded at a premium. I actually own Coca-Cola. Uh, and, and I think you can own both stocks here. I think in an environment where people may be looking for more defensive and are paid to hold, uh, know there's a great balance sheet, know that there's fantastic management. Um, and I think some of the current trends in the environment are in their favor. All right. For more options action, be sure to tune in to the full program. That is, of course, every Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, your final Wednesday trades. Correct. Time for your final trade. Let's go around the horn. Jeff Mills, why don't you kick us off? I think 3M is worth a look here. You know, it's down somewhere in the neighborhood of 40%. It really looks like it wants to turn higher. And from a valuation standpoint, typically trades at a premium to the broad industrial sector, actually trading at a pretty heavy discount right now. Any re-rating in the multiple, I think, it, uh, could go significantly higher. Tim. Hate to correct Guy Adami in public, but Rowdy Gaines was a highly decorated Olympic swimmer from the 80s. Rowdy Burns from Days of Thunder. Gold, the GLD has not lost its luster. It was just taking a breath, and I think gold is moving higher. Ross Wheeler. Karen. Yes, so I'm always long stocks, no matter what. But I do want to own protection. The VIX hasn't come in as much as I hoped it would, although it's off 22% since the peak in early September. So I want to buy S&P protection, even with the VIX here. Rowdy guy game. Oddly enough, Brian, Tom Cruise, a, a huge Fast Money fan. Hey, Tom, hope well as well. DraftKings, I think it continues to ratchet higher. Thomas Mapather, Glen Ridge High School. Guys, thank you. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. <laughs> 